If a bullet should enter my brain, let that bullet destroy every closet door. You're listening to AMI Audiobook Review. Thanks for joining us on this weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. And we're starting a brand new month. That is right. June is here, which means we're halfway through the year. And of course, uh, kicking off every show and theming along every month is a bit of a unique perspective when it comes to our weekly quotes. So this month, we are recognizing Pride Month of June. And Harvey Milk was the person uh, behind today's quote. And it's going to be literary, you know, it's going to be to recognize LGBTQ plus members in the literary community. And that I think is going to be wonderful. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about books uh, from the LGBTQ plus community later on in the show with our friends from SELA. But that is later to come. We got a lot of stuff to talk about right now, starting with the CELA homepage. So let's take a look at the featured titles on the very top. CELALibrary.ca is where you go for this list. And that is the Center for Equitable Library Access. The Girl in the Middle by Anais Grandowski. Biography is this title. And the second one, Love That Story, Observations from a Gorgeously Queer Life by Jonathan Van Ness. Humor Anthologies, Still Just a Geek by Will Wheaton. Wow. Some of us can't wait to get to this one. Uh, This is a humor, also family and relationships category. And those are the three featured titles. Now, it doesn't really end there because we're featuring a whole bunch of titles. So get ready with your uh, technology of choice to take down some titles, to take down some recommendations, uh, because June is a busy, 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 busy month (laughs) for books. Now, Our friends from the Center for Equitable Library Access have put together a list of titles and authors to help us recognize and feature Jewish Heritage Month, and that was during the month of May. So here we go. Let's take a look at some of these titles. Now, the book list is more than what I'm featuring right now, but I did check out the first five and uh, wanted to give you a sneak peek. So these are the highlights. The first title is Kiss the Red Stairs, The Holocaust Once Removed by Marsha Letterman. And this is a compelling memoir by the author, uh, award-winning journalist. And she delves into her parents' Holocaust stories in the wake of her own divorce, investigating how trauma migrates through generations with empathy, humor, and resilience. Um, This one is great because, of course, for... Those of us who didn't live through the Holocaust uh, or who don't have ancestry of people who've lived through the Holocaust, I think that this would be a fascinating read, um, first-person account, of course. The second one under this featured list is You Are Not What We Expected by Sidior Luvik. And this is a collection of stories, portrait of Jewish community, the secular and religious families who inhabited and the intentions that live there that illuminate the unexpected ways that we remain connected during times of change. Now, during times of change really makes you think about our current circumstance, our current life um, and, and being, because, of course, we're going through that. We're going through the shift of 
pandemic of COVID-19, um, of all kinds of work life, home life and personal choices, really, and even just around mental health. So I think that this would be a nice read to understand how this theme in, is encapsulated through something like World War II, through something like the Holocaust, um, and bringing spirituality and religion and community of that sort into the conversation, also an interesting perspective. So again, that's a collection of stories. So looking forward to um, hearing some feedback about that. Third one on this list, Tiny Lights for Travelers by Naomi Lewis. When her marriage suddenly ends, and a diary documenting her beloved grandfather's escape from Nazi-occupied Netherlands in the summer of 1942 is discovered. Naomi K. Lewis decides to retrace his journey, uh, his journey, the grandfather's journey, to learn about her family history. Uh, so again, of course, stories, but this one coming from the perspective of someone who is digging into somebody else's history. Of course, the fascination, I think, is going to be uh, shown. The discoveries, the the realizations, the realities will be shown through the accounts of writing that was then rediscovered. Our Darkest Night, a novel of Italy and the Second World War by Jennifer Robson. This was part of the featured category on the CELA homepage a while back. So we did talk about this one. To survive the Holocaust, a young Jewish woman must pose as a Christian farmer's wife, inspired by true events that vividly evokes the most perilous days of World War II. This one is a lot of storytelling. Um, I remember back when we talked about it the first time and going through the pause or play, the, the storytelling that comes with the aspects of the characters and um, the realities that what people had to go through with married life, with social norms, with what was acceptable and what needed to happen in order to survive. It was really that uh, range of, you know, little things that people were doing and humongous identity changes that people had to go through in order to survive through the Holocaust and through World War II days. Uh, that was the fourth one on the list. And the final one that we'll highlight here on audiobook review is The Student by Carrie Fagan. Set in Toronto, this is a short novel that portrays two pivotal times in the life of Marian Moskowitz. So the first part of this, the first half of it, will focus on her experiences as a bright young student in the 1950s, and it recounts the discrimination that she faced as a woman at that time. And then the second half of the book will revisit her um, life half a century later, exploring the changes in her community and within herself. For the entire list of authors and titles to help us feature and recognize and celebrate Jewish Heritage Month, that was the month of May, go to selalibrary.ca and get the full thing there. Let's check out one of the featured titles from the Sela homepage. The first one is The Girl in the Middle by Anais Granovsky. And this is a biography. So let's get to the synopsis. A moving and vivid memoir of a young girl, long before her starring role in the Degrassi series, who is always switching between worlds, wanting only to be loved. When Anais Granovsky's parents meet in the early 1970s, they are foreign and fascinating to each other. But when Jean becomes pregnant at 19, Stanley doesn't 
anticipate being cut off by his parents, nor does the couple anticipate that Stanley, soon to rename himself Faker, will find his callings in the spiritual teachings of Bhagwan Sri Gajneet on an ashram in India. So the girl in the middle is the story of a child who spends her life navigating between two very different worlds. Alone, Anais and her mother tiered on the poverty line, sharing a mattress in a single room in social housing in Toronto, while her grandparents live in a 20 live a 20-minute car ride away on the mansion-lined bridal path. As Anais grows up, she spends weekends having lunch with her grandmother by the pool, while during the week, she and her mother often don't know where their next meal will come from, even after Faker's return. It isn't until she gets her role in the TV series Degrassi Junior High that Anais finds a third world, her own, and begins to... uh, define an identity for herself. So this is what we're looking at, and we're going to go around the table for pause or play. Karen and Teresa are joining us. So Karen, I'll start with you. Pause or play on this title. I think I'll play on this one. I've read a couple reviews, and it seems to me really interesting. I love biographies and memoirs, and I really like the idea of sort of navigating those two different worlds as a young person. So I think I'd push play on this one. Does any of it come from uh, Degrassi, from a nice being a cast in Degrassi. Did that pull you in at all? No, because I'm too old for that. That was not, I was not <laughs> a Degrassi kid. Um, but I just think that the whole idea of, you know, the, the comment that you made about her grandparents live on the bridal path and she doesn't know where her next meal is coming yeah. from Monday to Friday. You know, I, I wonder what that does to a person uh, in terms of their perspective and their development. So, yeah, I think I'd push play on this one. Absolutely. Uh, Teresa, over to you. Pause or play? Play, for sure. And it's like, I would say 85, 90% because Degrassi, which I lived for as a kid <laughs> and watched. Um, and I was always just so like interested about these um, people who, who played these characters in this TV show that was so formative for me growing up. Like, what happened post Degrassi to them and I wouldn't say like I became like obsessed about it but was always just like very curious and kind of googling around about like you know where the cast members kind of ended up so I'm you know really curious and really interested to hear more about you know her life pre-Degrassi and like how you know I think Degrassi kind of really helped her for the, the better as, as a kid yeah. and, a, and a teen. So I'm, yeah, definitely 100% play on this one. Yeah, same. I'm with you both on this one. Um, I really tap into the that moment, that pivotal moment of when that third world hit her and why that became the path that she was able to uh, use to ignite her own identity. Now, I, I think of it as, you know, my, my own curiosities say, the acting, the pretending, the the on-screen versus off-screen, the, the being able to present yourself as a different person altogether in a world of, you know, theater or, or TV, that kind of make-believe and how that could have helped her reform her identity. Because, of course, I'm I'm thinking if weekends and weekdays looked so drastically different to her, mm-hmm. there must have been a lot of that, you know, a lot of pretending, a lot of acting, a lot of, you know, life isn't what it seems uh, to the outside world. So absolutely so much to to tap into. Did you want to say something else? 
Yeah, and I, I almost kind of wonder if Degrassi became sort of a safe space because there were mm-hmm. so many things that in Degrassi, like, I certainly would never have, like, learned about or talked about in my own background that I watched on that show that were, um, you know, probably, like, really challenging um, at that time to, like, talk about, you know? There were tough mm-hmm. topics, for sure, so... Yeah, I wonder, like, you know, given her background or whatever, if if Degrassi was kind of that safe space to, you know, tap into, you know, how she grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that particular script. And people will say this, right, in interviews, cast uh, members will say, this script spoke to me. There's, I have no clue, but I knew I had to audition for this when it came my way, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. So we're talking about The Girl in the Middle by Anais Granofsky, and you can find it at Sila library.ca right on the feature titles. We're going to get into our SELA talk all together because we're talking with Teresa Power, the content uh, and access librarian at SELA, and and Karen McKay, the communications manager at SELA. And both of you join us at the start of the month to kick off with some notable literary news. So let's get to that before our uh, other featured titles. I told you, got to take your pen and paper and, and iPod and keyboards out. So there's a couple big announcements this month. The first one was the Shaughnessy Cohen Prize for Political Writing. So this is one of the series of Writers Trust Prizes. And it went to Joanna Chu for her book, China Unbound, which delves into China's growing power and the way that it's influencing global stability, politics, economics, and civil rights really around the world. So Chu's an award-winning journalist, and she's an expert on China. And she has this really great ability to help distill information to make it understandable without oversimplifying it so that she can really illuminate the ways that events and trends all come together to influence the bigger picture. So if you're concerned about the power of China in the current world, this is a great book to pick up. It gives you a really nuanced understanding of the present day concerns. And for her efforts, she won $25,000 as part of the award. So we have all five of the nominees in our collection, and they are all worth a read if you want something that's uh, maybe a little bit light or heavier than a, a beach read for this summer. These books are great ones to pick up. Amazing. That is awesome. Uh, next up. Yeah. So the next one is the Canadian Mystery Writers, and they announced their uh, winners. They have a series of awards, and so they announced their winners in late May. And the best crime first novel went to Ashley Audrain, who wrote The Push. So I don't remember if we've talked about The Push on this um, show before, but this was one of my very favorite books from last year. And that's saying a lot because I don't often read crime stories or thrillers. Uh, the book's been picked up for a possible TV series and Audrain will be the executive producer. And so the, I don't want to give too much away, but the book really explores motherhood and all the expectations that it encompasses the impact that motherhood can have on our relationships with our spouses and our extended family and our connections with our children. Uh, it had me in its spell right from page one. And I finished the book. And it was one of those books I did not want to get to the end to. And when I did read the last two or three pages, I think it was the last page, actually, um, I wanted to know what happened next. I did not want the story to end. So, oh, wow. uh, And it's one of those books that I keep returning to, I keep thinking about over time. So I highly recommend it. Uh, we have this book, and we have a number of the other ones that were announced as part of the, the um, slate of winners in our collection as well. But I highly recommend The Push by Ashley Audrain. Okay. I'm curious about the timing for these awards. I don't know why, but I'm like, shouldn't it be in October with <laughs> with Halloween? That, that's just me, right? Being juvenile. 
almost all the major book awards come out in October. We don't want any more coming oh, out of this. Okay. This is a great time for this one. They're great for summer reads, right? Like folks love these sorts of categories. And uh, yeah, this is a this is a good series. And I you know, I can't say enough about this particular book as well. Okay, great. Did you want to just jump through some of the other um, books from these awards? Sure, I can do that. So we have winners from the uh, Best Juvenile or YA Crime Book, which was um, awarded to Kevin Sands for his book, The Trader's Blade. We also have the winner of the Best Crime Nonfiction Book, which was awarded to Nate Henley, and he wrote The Beetle Bandit. And we also have the Best French Crime Book, and that was uh, given to Patrick Senegal for Float. I hope I say that right in French. Um, and all of those are in our collection. So you can go ahead and find them uh, just by searching for them in the uh, in the collection, in the catalog. Amazing. Okay, thanks for highlighting these. Now we have more and more and more and more. So we are featuring some titles for Pride Month, um, which is in June now. And we want to get through some of these titles and maybe more of a breakdown than the other ones you've given. So we'll start with you, Teresa. What's the first one? So the first story um, or book that I chose is called I Love That Story, Observations from a Gorgeously Queer Life by Jonathan Van Ness. And I hope that you're familiar with the wonderfulness that is Jonathan Van Ness. I hope our listeners are too. Um, They gained fame um, being the grooming expert on uh, the show Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and also through their podcast, um, Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. I love, love That Story is um, a collection of essays showcasing events in their life that have helped them to you know, embrace change and imperfection. Uh, in comparison to his first book, Over the Top, which perhaps some of um, our readers have already read, it was far more, I think, far more gritty read. I uh, love that story focuses more on resilience. It's generally more positive and empowering in its messaging. And it really encourages readers to expand beyond um, their own internalized belief systems and to you know, really think um, beyond, beyond them um, with no limit. If you read Love That Story, and you love, love that story, <laughs> you may also want to pick up Sarah Polly's um, book, Run Towards uh, the Danger. She is a well-known um, Canadian actress and, and uh, director, and she recently um, also wrote this book. And so both books are a collection of essays, and they both share journeys towards self-fulfillment. So if you love one, you may actually enjoy picking up the other, and both are available in our catalog. Okay, self-fulfillment. That's the word to remember when you think about these books. Awesome. Karen? So the book I chose is Raising Ollie, How My Non-Binary Art Nerd Kid Changed Nearly Everything I Know by Tom Rajmer. What I love about this book is that it addresses what it means to be an ally from a few different perspectives as the teacher of adolescence and as the parent of a non-binary kid. So Tom Rajmer teaches middle school and high school. In fact, in 2014, he was named Minnesota's Teacher of the Year. This is his second book, and it follows along in the year where Tom and his child are both coping with new schools and new perspectives. So his child is Ollie, who's this great, funny, quirky, anxious, really smart kid who used to love school. Ollie is non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. So Ollie is one of those kids that prefers art to athletics, vegetables to cake, and animals to most humans. And he started to dread school. So 
they ask Tom about attending a new school where they can be with kids like them. Together, Tom and Ollie find a school that's a better fit. And Ollie really flourishes learning to code, to do um, animation, to do 3D modeling, to speak Japanese. At the same time as Ollie's flourishing, Tom's really grappling with a new school situation as well. He's always taught in very diverse situations, but he's at a school that's whiter and more suburban and more middle class than any he's taught with before. So while he's watching Ollie learn about uh, all these great new things, he's also learning about how to parent and be an advocate for a non-binary gifted kid. And he's contemplating the role that privilege plays in his own life, in the life of his students, and in the life of his child. So what I think is really great about this book is that it's about parenting a non-binary kid, but really Ollie's not a one-dimensional character. In fact, the least interesting thing about Ollie might be the pronouns that they choose. Tom is really honest about how parenting Ollie has impacted him and how it informs his approach to education and to talking about diversity and equity and, and inclusion with his students who may not be experiencing that kind of situation in their day-to-day lives. It's a really funny book. It's it's honest and readers might find it enlightening. And what I think is really um, interesting is that if folks haven't picked up books on this sort of topic before, this is a really great one as an entree. Uh, you get to really know and love Ollie and get to understand what it's like to be a parent and an advocate and an ally for the LGBT community. I'm glad that you mentioned that um, for people who may have never you know, picked up a book uh, knowingly that they were going to be, you know, exposed to LGBTQ plus, um, you know, information or identity and and that kind of thing. That is incredible that this could be a great first read uh, because you're kind of on the learning curve with the parent, right? So with the the allyship. Awesome. Um, Back to you, Teresa. Sure. Okay. So my next one is called One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Um, One Last Stop is a really delightful rom-com slash mystery story from this best-selling author. Uh, It's about a young woman named August Landry. She's new to Brooklyn and she is living with um, multiple roommates. The way that she fills her days is as a server for a 24-7 pancake place. So riveting. Um, Her only saving grace is this mysterious punk rocker who is part of her um, daily subway commute. And the two strike up um, an intense kind of romantic relationship-ish thing. Um, But the twist is that Jane not only looks like a 70s punk rocker, she actually is in fact from the 1970s and has time traveled and is stuck on the subway with no way to get back to her her time. So August and her roommates dedicate themselves to you know, finding a way out for Jane to get back to where she's from. One great thing about um, One Last Stop is that it's it has its serious elements. So August being bisexual and grappling with, you know, her feelings for Jane's. These are new feelings for her. Um, Jane's experience of being gay and, you know, facing discrimination in the 1970s. Uh, but it also has its, you know, whimsy and endearing moments, especially with August's um, roommates, who she, who are her chosen family, basically. Uh, the book has across-the-board starred reviews and has been called an absolute delight and a moving look at the strength of true love, even when faced with seemingly insurmountable obstacles. 
practice. So I think that's just kind of a, a, a lovely um, encapsulation of how wonderful this book is. Amazing. Well, thank you both for sharing these three uh, books that we got to. We're wrapping up, but before we go, Karen, do you mind just plugging Lambda Literary for us? Sure. So Lambda Literary Awards have been running for 34 years, and they were created to nurture and advocate for LGBTQ writers. Uh, So they will announce their winners on June the 11th. There's more than 100 books nominated across 24 different categories, everything from fiction to poetry to anthologies to books for kids and teens. There's a couple Canadian authors that are nominated. Um, Ivan Coyote, Alexis Olin, and Kazim Ali are all nominated. And we've got uh, information about these books up on our website, so you can come check them out there. Amazing. Karen McKay and Teresa Power joining us from the Center for Equitable Library Access as they do at the start of every month. That's a wrap for AMI Audiobook Review. And until next week for our next episode, happy audiobook listening. I'm Marjorie Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.